Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 3, Episode 6, Beautiful Feet, Resistant Ears, Romans 10, 14-21. Even though Israel had it as good as you could get it throughout their history, with the calling of Abraham, the Exodus story with all its miracles from God, the, the word of God being given to them specifically, and prophets to preach to them from the very heart of God, they still missed the Messiah when he came. This isn't God's fault, and it's not his fault if we miss the message today about Christ. Pastor Steve Trankler here from Hope Community Church, here in my multi-dollar studio in my basement. <laughs> this last Monday was Halloween, and the history of Halloween actually goes back to a church history event where they had a day, and it was November 1st, called All Saints Day. And the day before, where you would dress up as your favorite saint. And the day before that was called All Hallows Eve. In other words, it became Halloween was the name of that. And that's how it, and you kind of dressed up as ghouls or whatever, because I guess somehow the dressing up as a saint the next day covered your, covered your crazy behavior on All Hallows Eve. Uh, I'll always remember All Saints Day, uh, six years ago, my, my dad uh, passed away on this day in 2016, and so uh, I guess I'll give this episode in memory of him. In 1517, so because we're recording this podcast in 2022, that's 505 years ago, a little-known monk in the middle of Germany would do something on this day, on, on, on All Saints Day, that would turn the world upside down. His name was Martin Luther. This season, if you're just joining us, if you're kind of catching Romans Untangled in the middle, we're kind of looking at one person each week of history. And this week, I want to look at the man Martin Luther, obviously very important figure in uh, the Reformation and in faith in general, and especially the Protestant faith. Martin Luther was born in 1483. Uh, he is born to Margaret and Hans Luder, L-U-D-E-R. That's the way it would have been locally pronounced. His father worked in the local copper mines, and Martin went to Latin school. And after that, when he was 13, he went to the University of Erfurt, E-R-F-U-R-T, and he studied law there. He's 13 years old. He, he earns both his bachelor's and master's degrees in the shortest time allowed in order to be a student. But then in 1505, he's 21 at the time, and he's on his way to Erfurt, and he gets caught in the middle of a storm. It is a wicked storm, all right? And again, he's got he's he's by himself, he's walking, and this lightning bolt hits near the ground. And he calls out, he says, Help me, Saint Anne. And he says, If I get out of this, if I get out of this, I will become a monk. He did get out of it. And he fulfills his vow, he, he says, he gave away everything he had. He enters the monastic life. And, and Luther doesn't do anything halfway. If you know anything about Martin Luther, he goes hardcore into this, and he 
pushes himself hard into prayer, fasting, all kinds of things to kind of punish his body so that he would sleep without a blanket in the freezing cold. You do all these things to kind of get closer to God, right? And so he uh, was just terrified that he wasn't good enough for God. In fact, one of Luther's favorite passages to meditate on during this time was Romans 1.17, right? And this is a passage we've talked about. I think I mentioned even Luther's uh, influence or what Luther had thought about this. And he was terrified of this verse because it said the righteous will live by faith. And here's what Luther said about that. He said, I hated that word, the righteousness of God by which I had been taught according to the custom and use of all teachers, that God is righteous, and and that means like justice, that God is righteous and punishes the unrighteous sinner. So as as, um, Luther's reading through Romans and other things, he's, he's terrified of God because the worst news in the world is that the righteousness of God is going to show up. That means the justice of God, and that means because Luther knew that he was a sinner, he was... He was completely uh, undone. While he's a monk, he's also taking his doctorate at, uh, and, and he becomes a professor at Wittenberg University. In 1513 and 1514, he starts to lecture on the Psalms. He's also studying on his own the, the book of Romans, and all of a sudden, it clicks for him. He says this, he says, at last meditating day and night by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung open. So this now changes everything for Luther. He's going, oh my gosh, this righteousness is not coming to punish me. This righteousness has been expressed on the cross and I just receive it. And again, for, for a lot of us who grew up maybe in uh, post-1517 churches, it's like, yeah, duh, that's the message. But not in Luther's time. That, that was not kind of the message of what the gospel meant. And so on 1517, on All Saints' Eve and eventually on All Saints' Day, Luther hangs on the door 95 theses. And what was what finally clicked it for Luther was a man by the name of Johann, or John, we'd call him, Tetzel. And what he was doing is he was going around selling indulgences. In other words, if you could uh, pay the church a certain amount of money, we would give you a a document that gives your 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 uh, sins were forgiven. And actually, it was not even just for your sins; it was for your loved one's sins. And the phrase that they used is. Tetzel would say is, once the coin in the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory heavenward springs, okay? And so, and Luther's like, what are you talking about? You don't, you can't buy sin forgiveness. It's at, it's in Christ. And so he puts out these 95 theses, and that was a common thing, actually. So, I mean, I know we, we often see pictures of him nailing this on the door at Wittenberg, and it's the only thing on the door, but that's not true. The The door at, at a church would have normally been a place where it's kind of like a bulletin board. You'd have had all kinds of things going on, and, and this was just one of them, and he wanted to debate these issues. And so over the course of the next few years, he starts debating these things with people, and 
when it finally comes to uh, the time when he's put up on trial at a place called, it looks like Worms, but it's usually pronounced Worms, Germany, uh, he is then found guilty of uh, being a convicted heretic. But he's asked at the trial if he would recant, if he would repent of his views. And he says one of the most famous things of what Luther has said, and this is in 1521 at Worms, he says, unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds of reasoning, then I cannot and will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And that phrase, here I stand, I can do no other, is a very famous Lutheran phrase. Uh, Luther was terrified. He, he thought for sure he was going to die, but he doesn't. They, they don't uh, put him um, to death. In fact, he's able to escape. He's, uh, he's able to kind of live on the run, so to speak, in different ways. Uh, Luther has become very popular, and to kill him would have been very bad for the for the authorities. And he has a friend, and his name is Philip Melanchthon. And together, they start this movement of Protestantism. They didn't intend to leave the the um, they didn't intend to leave the Catholic Church. It just kind of worked out that way. Luther marries a runaway nun. Katharina von Bora, who is going to be our person we're going to talk about next week. <laughs> she is so fascinating. We got to spend a week just on her. And uh, and Luther ends up starting this, this uh, movement of faith alone, by grace alone, uh, in Christ alone, uh, for the glory of God alone, through scripture alone. He starts this movement of Protestantism, which we still feel today. Now, I said in this early on, we were going to talk about the good, bad, and the ugly. Luther is definitely one of my favorite characters uh, in, in church history, and yet he could be a cantankerous cuss at times. He had a mouth on him, potty mouth on him, and it wasn't just, uh, it was towards other people, other reformers. He used very vulgar language to describe Ulrich Zwingli, the Swiss reformer. Uh, he said in later years, he had horrific things to say about people in society and especially about Jewish people, popes, theological enemies. He uh, got gout later on the end of his life. Uh, he worked himself to his grave. The reality is he is uh, completely exhausted. He's been preaching over a hundred times a year. Uh, he's working on uh, Old Testament translations. He's trying to get all this done. And in 1546, he finally just wears out his body completely, and he dies. But Martin Luther probably is one of the most important people in church history when it comes to uh, the impression that he has made, good, bad, and ugly. And so a person worthy of you looking into more. Okay, let's get on to Romans here. Well, this week, we're in Romans chapter 10. We're going to continue on in our study there, and we are looking at verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read them, and then we're going to kind of untangle it. Get That's what we always like to do on this show, is uh, untangle this so we can understand the beauty of what's going on. Uh, and then uh, we'll kind of take a look at how this applies to us. So here we go, Romans 10, verses 14 to 21. I'm going to read this time out of the English Standard Version, ESV. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand it? First, Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, All day long I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Okay. That's what we're going to talk about this week. I am definitely a kid in a candy store this morning as we're recording this. I am. This is a very, very fun passage to go through. Again, I know we do a lot of review on this show. The deal is Romans chapters 9 to 11, which this season is is covering, is really one single thought consciousness. It's, it's kind of going after one thing. And, and if you remember, uh, the big problem here is where are the Jews, right? That's the issue. When you when you look in the early church, you see a lot of Gentiles, but a very few Jewish people. And you're kind of like, wait a minute, as I read the beginning of the book, this is your story. Where are you, right? That's the that's the thing. And, and you can see it, we covered this in, in verse three, that Paul's, he even wishes that he could lose his own salvation. I wish I were cut, cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers and sisters that they may come to faith. And so, uh, you're going to see this. What's why are there not many Jews? And and uh, the big the big point of the whole section is Romans nine six, which says it is not as though God's word had failed. In other words, God didn't blow his promises. God didn't promise something and then it didn't happen. That's huge. And Paul's going to have, if you remember, four arguments in Romans nine through eleven to support this. The first is almost the whole chapter of chapter nine, which is God is sovereign. He's the one in control of things. God's not out of control. He promises something and he works it to completion. That's a surety with God. But with that then, then that brings us to um, verse verse, uh, 30 in chapter nine, where we get what then shall we say that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have, have obtained it? And the people of Israel who pursued the laws a way of righteousness have not attained it? Why not? And the answer we'd want to insert there is, well, because God's sovereign. But that's not what it says. It says, because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. So Paul's saying, there's human responsibility here. There's real choices. And these Israelites, these Jewish people are making the wrong choice. They're not coming to Messiah. And that opens up the second argument he has. First is the sovereignty of God in all things. But the second one is human responsibility, which takes us all the way through chapter 10. And that's what we're going to finish up today. So he's finishing up this idea of that, no, it's it was their responsibility, right? So as we looked a couple weeks ago, at what the stumbling stone is. What was the stumbling stone? 
Well, we see that in chapter 10, verse 3. If you have your Bible open, you can kind of follow this. They, they didn't want to know the righteousness of God, but sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination or the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. And he's saying, here's the deal. You, you went about this the wrong way. Israel wanted to create their own righteousness. They wanted to say, we're good enough. We're better than all these other nations. Uh, and now they're coming in and it actually makes them more angry because they're basically saying, hey, we earned this. We, we're the people of Israel. What are you, what are you all doing in here? Uh, we don't, we reject Jesus as Messiah because his way is a way of grace and we want to go the way of works. That's basically Paul's argument here. And then last week we looked at this beautiful thing about the invitation is still there. Now I know this passage is often used to describe, you know, people who are not Jewish and how they come to faith, and it's very true, right? Because this is verse uh, chapter ten, verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Right, and that is, it's very much, that's how we all come to faith. However, you, you gotta understand the argument here. The main point he's trying to make is the invitation still stands. Jewish folk, the, the, in Paul's day, he's saying the invitation still stands. You can come to Jesus. So that leads us to today's passage. What's going on in today's passage? And he's going through this and he's wanting to say, uh, had they even heard the message, right? And so he's then going to go and start in verse 14, and he's going to give this 14 to 15 is probably one of the most famous passages used for missionaries, right? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? And that 100% is a great passage for missions. Uh, absolutely, right? How can they do this unless they have heard? Absolutely. However, again, it's not that that's wrong to use it that way. That's fine. But go. let's stay in the context here. What's he saying? He's saying the Jewish people need the gospel message proclaimed to them. The, the Jews... Uh, they, they are on the cusp here. They have the story of the Old Testament. They're reading it wrongly. They think that they're better than everyone else. And in fact, they're just a microcosm of all of, of all of humanity. And they are missing the message. And so what he's saying here is, is there's all of these, this preaching that's gone on. And he quotes, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's a quote from Isaiah 52, verse 7. And it's referring to the prophets and it's referring to others who are telling Israel, you need to repent and come to God. So in other words, Paul's actually saying that in their history, the message of the gospel's there. It's not yet made clear until Christ comes, but in the whole storyline, the message is there and they miss it. They don't just miss it when Jesus shows up, they miss it throughout the whole story. So if you keep going on then in verse 16, it says, but not all the... Israelites accepted the good news, all right? So that would refer good news. There could be gospel. It's the same idea. And But he's talking both about in the Old Testament time and 
in when Christ comes, right? And he quotes from Isaiah 53, verse 1. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? In other words, no one's believing me, Isaiah's complaining. No one is believing me. And that's the same thing, right? Then he goes on to say, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ, right? So that's, you hear about this word of Christ. Well, okay, again, they hadn't heard exactly Jesus' name and exactly how it all fit together, but there is a point where they've got the storyline wrong. Isaiah's trying to get Israel to repent. They, They don't. And now comes the message in the the New Testament, and they're still just, they're continuing on this rejection. Verse 18, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. See? So he's saying all in their history, they heard this message over and over. And then amazingly, he quotes from Psalm 19, verse 4. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Now, this is only a half an hour podcast. If it wasn't, we'd dive into this thing more. A lot of ink is spilled on what in the world is Paul doing here? What is Paul doing quoting from Psalm 19 verse 4? Because Psalm 19 verse 4 is talking about general revelation that everybody gets, right? Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands, Psalm 19.1. It's saying, you know, and this goes back even to Romans chapter 1, where we see that from things that were made, we can see God's uh, divine nature and eternal power. We don't see everything about God, but we see some of these things. So he's going back and quoting, talking about general revelation, and tons of ink is spilled on what does, why is Paul doing that? Why isn't he talking about clear passages in the Old Testament that would point to Christ as Messiah? And he doesn't do that. So what's going on here? I think the best, uh, I think the best argument is made by Douglas Moo in his little commentary, Encountering the Book of Romans. And he uses an example of when he would play basketball with his boys when they were younger and 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 the and the, he would kind of you know talk a little smack to the kid and say things I'm going to dunk on you today, and the kid would respond back with a movie quote from a Dirty Harry movie uh, starred Clint Eastwood, and they'd say, "Go ahead, make my day." Now, if you don't know that movie, uh, it's 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 a pretty intense scene in the movie where uh, there's a there's a a person who's a uh, I think he's trying to rob a coffee shop or something, and uh, he's threatening Clint Eastwood like he's going to pull his gun out on him. And uh, he says, I think, I'll just, I think I'll just do that to you. And Clint Eastwood's got his gun pointed at him. He says, go ahead, make my day. It's a very gruesome scene, but it's a very threatening scene, right? So when, when uh, his son is playing basketball with him and he says, go ahead, make my day, of course he's not threatening his life, his father's life. Of course that's not what he's saying. He's basically saying, bring it on, old man. Bring it on, right? And so what Moo argues, and I think it's actually really genius, is when he says, when Paul quotes this passage, everybody would have known that passage in the Jewish community, and they would have said, do, do you think you didn't hear? The message is so clear that that even in the, their voice in, in verse uh, uh in, in verse 18 here is quoting from Psalm 19.4. They're talking about just the stars. Even you seeing the stars, folks, is enough for you to see this. Go ahead, make my day. It's like you heard this message. You knew this message. It's in your heart. You knew it. And plus it was supplanted by everything we you heard. And then you even heard about Christ. He goes on then to say in verse eight, 19, again, I asked, did Israel not understand? 
And then he quotes from Moses. And this is before they get into the promised land. And Moses even predicts about them through God's word. He says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Israel, if you think there's any special about you because you're just you just are getting in this promised land, you got to understand, you're not following my message, and therefore others will. He follows it up with verse 20, and this is now quoting from Isaiah 65. I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. Isaiah 65, 1. And then he says, but concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Do you hear that? All day long, I've held up my hands. Come to me, children, come, and they don't. That's why I called this called this uh, particular podcast Beautiful Feet, Resistant Ears. Their ears are just resistant as, as, as all of ours are. Now, when Jesus comes, and that's our passage, that's, that's Romans Untangled for the book of Romans here, is that there was this, there's this resistance, there's this backing away from uh, the reality of what God has done in Christ for them. And where does that come from? And Jesus saw this over and over and over and over again. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, the phrase, the Jews, almost always is used to describe meaning the Jews who oppose Jesus. It's just constant. And when Jesus is teaching on this, at one point in time, he's teaching and he's got people around him who are very, not not the kind of people you want to bring home to mom and dad. In Luke chapter 15, verse one and two says this, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. Okay, so you get this picture that all of these people that are kind of the undesirables from society are, are being around Jesus and the righteous, the, the religious, the clean, don't like that. And it says in verse two, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that in a nutshell is the problem. The Pharisee, the, the person who was observant, said to themselves, I am better than everybody else. He goes on to tell a series of parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of, and the different versions say, like this version I'm looking at, the ESV says, the parable of the prodigal son. And the reality is that's not the, that's not the proper title <laughs> because he starts off in verse 11, explaining in this parable from, chap, uh, from Luke 15, Jesus continues on and he says, there was a man who had two sons. So it's really the parable of the two sons. The younger son goes off. We know that whole account. He goes off. He wanders off. He gets, you know, he spends all the inheritance, drug, sex, rock and roll. I mean, just squanders it all, comes back. And he's met by the father. The father receives him. He runs out to him. He takes the shame that's due the son upon himself. And he goes and he welcomes his son back. But that's not the end of the parable. In fact, I would even argue that's not the main point of the parable. In verse 25, this is the main point. It says, now his older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. So it's like he's walking up to the house and all of a sudden he's people swinging from the chandeliers. There's this party going on. 
And he called one of the servants and asked uh, what these meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Okay, so this is exactly what is being talked about here in these passages in Romans chapter 10. I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding, right? Here's this older brother. He's done nothing wrong. And yet the, the younger son blows his inheritance, comes back. He's getting this par day. Like, what's up with that? And he is livid, Verse 28 of chapter uh, Luke 15. But he was angry and refused to go in. So now there's this awkward scene. The father's inside in Jesus' story, partying with all his guests, all his neighbors, all his community, and his son is outside throwing a temper tantrum. And the father has to once again shame himself in front of his guests and go out to the son, and he doesn't just dress him down. He patiently and lovingly talks to him. It says, his father came out and entreated him, son, son, please come in. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not even calling him his brother, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. So what's actually he saying here? The older brother is saying, I'm better than him. How dare you throw him a party and never have given me anything like that? You owe me, old man. And that's that's the sin of the Pharisees. That's the sin of religion. That's the sin of thinking I'm in, others are out. That's the sin of thinking I'm just better than everyone else. And then the father ends here by saying, son, you're always with me and all that I have is, all that is mine is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and is found. And that's the end of the parable. That's the end of the parable. We don't know any more about what happens. We don't know what happens next. And the invitation is there. The invitation is there, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. You can come into the party. You can come into the party. In Romans chapter 10, the invitation is still there. At the very end, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Israel, the invitation is still there. The invitation is there. Come, come into the party. But you're going to have to humble yourself. You're going to have to acknowledge it. It's not based on you. It's based on what Jesus Christ did for you. And that's true for us too today. Some of us just have it in our minds that, man, I cannot believe those rotten, sinful people are getting in and trusting Christ. And here I am, I've, I've, done, I've done nothing wrong and and, and I'm not accepted by God until I come to Jesus? That just doesn't seem fair at all. And yet the invitation's still there. Brothers and sisters listening to the podcast, will, will you come? Will you come into the party? Whether you're the prodigal son, been wandering, come home. Or whether you're the older brother looking down on them and want to yell at them and to scream at them and to say, I am so much better. Come to Jesus. Today's the day. Come to Jesus. 
I want to thank you for hanging out with me as we looked at this really, really fun passage of Romans chapter 10. Next week, we're going to kick off Romans chapter 11, passage I'm also excited about. I, you know, this whole section is just amazing. But he's going to pick it up with a different question. And the question is now, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And Paul's answer is going to be, by no means. Can't wait to hang out with you. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.